Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast from a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Well, Adam, uh, the the Coco No-No episode is upon us. Yeah, big time. It's, uh, it's, it's a very strange feeling because we haven't recorded this show in many weeks because we pre-recorded a lot to uh, do the bulk of our tour, right? which is now all of that is behind us. And now I'm trying to remember what the last thing that happened on the show was. And I was, I was very, uh, I was very grateful that this episode didn't really draw on my knowledge of any previous episodes in a, in any big way. Yeah. It was nice to come back to the show with a great big drink. Yeah. What uh what are you sipping on tonight? I am on my second pint glass of piña colada. Mm. <laughs> and there's I think two more of those in the blender that I will be going up for at intervals I deem necessary. Once I <laughs> once I finish this, I'll go back up and get another. Piña colada is a beverage that you helped me appreciate anew because I feel like when you're a college kid, your experience with pina colada is the plastic bottle and rum right and a blender and that is, if that is all you know of a pina colada and you haven't actually made one with coconut milk and pineapple juice uh, yeah. you're really missing out it's a great cocktail it's famous for a reason yeah i'm surprised to hear you're going pint glass because you recently went on a a, a rant in my presence about how you don't want a bloody mary in a pint glass Look, I love a spicy cocktail. I love a spicy meal, but that is one cocktail that I want a short glass of. <laughs> I feel like a pint glass of Bloody Marys is too much. It's kind of the standard these days. I know, but it is just a pint glass of acid in a way that uh, that does yeah. not agree with me. It's just a what personal What did you think problem. of those Bloody Caesars we had in Toronto? Well, the thing about that cocktail that we had in Toronto was that the lower quarter of the glass was basically a sludge made out of uh, horseradish and ice yeah. and, uh, and, and, clam and cilantro. Juice. So it wasn't even like drinkable in a conventional sense. It was just, right. it, it filled the glass. It was sort of a semi-liquefied salad. Right. Yeah, it was delicious. Had, uh, yeah, had was great good. hangs there with friend of the show, Chris Bowman. It's fun to, ha- yeah. to catch up with him again. Our our good buddy, your ex. No, he's not my ex. He and I he and I talk quite a bit about what it's like to uh, be friends with you post podcast, and uh, <laughs> he had a, he had a lot of instructive thoughts for me. Uh, thoughts wow. that are going to help me transition into a post podcast with Ben lifestyle. Is that uh, is that something that's been on your mind a lot lately? <laughs> well, we keep doing those LinkedIn ads, Ben. I mean, I can't yeah. help but think oh, about yeah. it. I could be replaced at any time once you find the right candidate. <laughs> I, I was inspired by our last conversation about the Coco Nono episode to find a way to work creme de banane into my beverage. Yeah. And uh, I found a recipe on the Reddit cocktail sub for something called a banana hammock, which is a essentially a banana mai tai. Oh. And 
I sort of mashed that up with my frozen daiquiri drink that I occasionally make on the show and replaced the water that I include with that drink uh, with uh, with coconut juice. Get like, that water out not, of there. Not coconut milk, but like the the kind of coconut juice you get in the juice aisle. Yeah, the stuff that, that people drink after a workout for hydration. Yeah, it's... No, no, not even that. No? You're, think, you're talking coconut water. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about this is like adjacent to cranberry... Oh. Uh, <laughs> You know, cranberry juice and pineapple juice. And I think the main ingredient is actually white grape juice, but it tastes like coconut. So. How about that? Yeah. That sounds pretty it's nice. Yummy. You know, I didn't go out and get the creme de banane that I promised I would because uh, <laughs> I am under strict rules not to purchase any more bottles of anything before we move down to oh, L.A. Yeah. So. Especially one like that, which is fun and funny to have but you're never gonna finish it before you move yeah yeah so i i went into the cupboard and the liquor cabinet to make this cocktail and i'm happy i did we had all the stuff already that was the right move hey speaking of uh objects showing up in your life we still have a p.o box in seattle and i think i think the uh the conch needs to be passed i think i need to take over p.o box duty yeah for a while because you have You've been you've been doing yeoman's duty, the custodian of our of our physical inbox, but you're not going to be in Seattle anymore. And uh, as as long as we're changing what the PO box address is, I think uh, I think it would be fair for me to be the person that is custodian of it going forward for at least a little while. Well, yeomans are for fucking, and yeomans get fucked on Star Trek. And <laughs> it, now my. My long nightmare of P.O. box checking is coming to an end, but <laughs> not before I go through some of the packages we've we've received recently, Ben. Why don't we get to those? Let's do it. Captain, I'm sorry to disturb you. I'm receiving a code 47. Verify. It is code 47, sir. Start lead emergency frequency. Captain size only. Ben, right on top, we've got a postcard from one of our best friends of DeSoto. It's from Ann Kilzer. Hey! Didn't Ann move to Japan? She did. Ann writes, Adam and Ben, once again, I am in Shimoda. And by that, she means Shimoda, (laughs) Japan. Uh, Cool. She continues, though I've fallen behind on DS9, I very much enjoy Friendly Fire. Hey! Thanks for making me laugh. See, that's a little hidden plug for our hit podcast, Friendly Fire. That's great. From friend of DeSoto, Ann Kilzer. That's great. She's. It sounds like she's still doing great out there. That is a, uh, a terrific country. I, I really enjoyed visiting it the one time I got to go. Our second postcard is from Union Bank, and it reads, Open a new <laughs> business checking account and received a $350 <laughs> bonus. Wow, a three hundred and fifty dollar bonus. Offer expires November thirtieth. So uh, that'll that'll make up make up some of the shortfall from our uh, most recent tour. You know, you can only have a PO box so long before you start getting junk mail, and uh, <laughs> there's our first piece of junk mail. Fuck wow. you, Union Bank. Eat a bag of shit. Then we've got a third piece of mail here. It is from Zoe from Somerville. Massachusetts. <laughs> I do that thing. I don't know if you do this, but I open letters by tearing the side of them open instead of oh, going yeah. in over the top. And what I've done is I've torn the letter, uh, oh, but not the part that yeah. I need to read. It's fine. 
There's a letter, and what we have here are a number of... Ooh, these are great. These are these are the fansets pins that we saw at Star Trek Las Vegas. There's a bunch of these. Oh, neat. Fansets pins of a bunch of different characters. Oh, that's th- these are very cool. I'll, I'm going to Jackie and Lori these in just a moment. But I'm going to read you the letter, and the letter goes like this. Hi, Ben and Adam. Thank you for all the laughs and the wonderful and often genuinely thoughtful commentary. It has been a delight re-watching this wonderful show with you and watching new Star Trek for the first time. Which brings me to the small gifts enclosed. Some fun pins! Enclosed you'll find Lursa and Bator, Admiral Bob, and Captain (laughs) Killy. May you carry these strong women and their boob windows. (laughs) (laughs) Long live Admiral Bob! Again, thanks for the laughs. Zoe. Admiral Bob's a hero. Yeah, she really is. I'm gonna I'm gonna She she gave herself to save the ship. She really pulled a Spock. She really did. She just didn't get to uh, download her Katra into anybody. Thanks, Zoe. That's super cool. I like the pins because they're super tiny and movable. <laughs> oh man, these are great. Whoa, there is another postcard in here that uh that I did not see. Because it's a postcard. <laughs> This postcard appears to be unsigned, so I'll just read it. Somebody who, like us, is sort of hesitant about having their identity linked to this podcast. Postcard goes like this. Dear Ben and Adam, love the shows. Longtime greatest gen viewer as well as greatest discovery and friendly fire. Your podcast really helped brighten a dull day at work. Just please stop with the Bashir is a piss freak bit. <laughs> it's up there with Bacosby. Oh, I can see now why this person didn't sign their postcard. It's because they have a very unpopular opinion. Yeah, I think we'll talk more about that on this episode. So this may be this may be where the person who wrote this postcard gets off board. Yeah, on Grace Jen. Huh? Yeah. Well, we lost this person, but uh, yeah. Thank you for listening for the time that you did. RSVP that listener. <laughs> uh, our. Our next piece of mail, this is the penultimate piece of mail. Wow, this is from Jesse Thorne. Hey, it's Jesse Thorne. Did you get this? What? Hey. It's from Jesse Thorne. It's Jesse Thorne. I I believe it's the same Jesse Thorne. Jesse Thorne. The instructions say, do not bend. And I have not. Inside what we have is a magazine. It is the official magazine, Star Trek The Next Generation Makeup FX Journal. Whoa. A post-it note on the cover says, Hey, guys. Hey. Hope you enjoy this TNG Makeup FX Journal. I found it in a thrift store in Chicago while I was listening to Greatest Gen. Weird, huh? Love the show (laughs) and friendly fire. There is no fucking way Jesse Thorne listens to Greatest Gen. I mean, we would have been kicked off the network a long time ago. He listened. He 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 told me. He told me recently about an episode he listened to and enjoyed. That's insane. Wow. Well, thanks for thinking of us, Jesse. Well, uh, you were out. I'm gonna guess like out doing the Judge John Hodgman live tour. That that would explain yeah. why you were in Chicago. And and the idea that he went into a thrift store while on tour tracks perfectly with what we know about Jesse. It's Jesse Thorne. So I believe it's him. He's a he's a famous thriftsman. And you can check out all of his great finds at the Put This On shop, which you should definitely do. It's, true. A, it's a shop that I've even purchased things from, and uh, I am not even stylish. so I got some cufflinks off of that shop recently that I wore to a wedding. Well, there you go. Thank you, Jesse. Final box, Ben. It's the end box, is, oh, is man. what I'll call it. 
<laughs> the music changes. The lights change. Yeah. Final box time. Uh, this is coming to us inside a Shutterfly triangular tube box. You know what I mean? Oh. Like like something. Yeah, yeah. Something sent Something's for rolled up in there. Yeah, and yeah. Sure as shit, there's a rolled up thing in here. This is a picture of Morn wearing a pair of thong underwear. Uh, it's a diptych. And uh, if you're not familiar with that term, a diptych is a photograph that has uh, two halves of it. On the left is the front of Morn, wearing the golden thong underwear, revealing very little to the imagination. On the other side, there is the back of Morn, which appears to show a uh, what is colloquially known as a tramp stamp of Deep Space Nine. (laughs) And... uh, is Morn otherwise nude? Yeah, like there's the gold the gold underwear is the only thing he's wearing, and Morn is jacked. So wow. I'm gonna go ahead and Jackie and Lori you a picture of that. Because I do not Morn- want these eyes to be the only ones scorched by this. <laughs> <laughs> oh hey, we know who this is from. Ordered for you by Sam Tregar. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? I thought up until now Sam Tregar was a friend of DeSoto who liked what we did, and we we also like him very much. Sam had been aggressively moving up through the power rankings, kind of going toe-to-toe with some of the heaviest purchasers of P1 messages, especially on the tour. Now, this? Really sends a message. It is quite a thing. Oh, man. Wow. Is it as I described, Ben? Jesus. I mean, I think that the thing that I wasn't envisioning about the uh, banana hammock in question is that it looks very spaceship-like. You know, right? It's got like uh, it's got like knobs and dials on it, and also like from what we have posited about Morn, much much smaller than I was expecting. Is this the uh, is this the guy from Guardians of the Galaxy? <laughs> I have famously huge turds. That Morn's head has been photoshopped upon. Looks like there's a lot of stretch marks on Morn, also, or uh, or scarification. Boy, Daddy Thick. Morn is most definitely a thick king. Yeah, depending on the wiring of the the viewer, the stuff of fantasy and or nightmares. Hey, I am taking a super long pull for my pina colada. After that. <laughs> Oh, man. And also uh, expressing gratitude for everyone who ha- who sends even semi-nude posters of Morn to our greatest <laughs> Gen P.O. box. Even you, Sam Trigar. Thank you to everybody that sent something in. Uh, yeah. As, as you tumble down the ranks of Friends of DeSoto. <laughs> Hope it was worth it. <laughs> well, Adam, we got a great big episode to get into. Yeah. And... Uh, and I think I feel I fear we have tarried too long. Do you want to get into season five, episode sixteen, Doctor Bashir? I presume. Do you have enough drink to continue? I, I made myself a uh, like a big mixer tin, and uh, I brought I brought out a um, an ice bucket full of uh, pebble ice from my God. new pebble ice machine. That's so convenient. I'm I'm like an idiot going up and down the stairs refilling my cocktail. 
Like I'm in olden times. Huh. Do you need to go refill? Go refill. Yeah, I'm gonna go refill. I'm gonna go refill I, and then never again. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring down a giant I'm gonna like bring, bring the, the pitcher. pitcher. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Ow! Do you realize how incredible this is? Ow! <laughs> no, of course you don't. One thing that everyone on Deep Space Nine knows is that Rom likes Lita and Lita likes Rom. And when are they going to get together? Lita broke up with Bashir to get with Rom. Right. And this opening scene begins in Quarks, where Rom is creeping on Lita, but is powerless. Boy, I wrote the word creep several times in my notes about this scene. Yeah. And I'm glad that you said it. I mean, what could just be a couple of brothers talking about a girl that one of the brothers likes really spirals into what <laughs> in modern times like like here's the thing that we run into a lot i think on our on our hit war movie podcast friendly fire is that the time that a thing was made was made to be judged in the time that it was made and so right. often the the judgment of a modern time can be withering and this is one of those scenes of deep space nine that i don't think holds up particularly well well this is something we've talked about all through Greatest Gen, too, is that, like, the TV depiction of the way relationships work yeah. is so weird in the 80s and 90s. Like, like I love you being, like, the first expression of two people getting into a relationship with each other feels very alien to me here in 2019. Right, but at the time, like, when I put myself back into an awkward high school and freshman, sophomore in college, like... Yeah. Fuck. I recognize a lot of what Ram is going through in in, yeah, in myself me. Uh, from those days. So, I mean, hopefully, ideally, we've all grown up since then. But the ask out does not go well, Enterprise, because yeah. Ram is sort of like psyching himself up at the bar for the moment that he needs to do this. And Quark is there to encourage him and also be the audience for this thing. Ram. You're a regular poet. And it's, it's yeah. hard to tell whether or not the audience is the thing that kneecaps Rom or Rom's lack of confidence or ability to do the thing, but he is unable to ask Lita yeah. out, and it sure looks like this is something that's happened many times before. Quark very much Heisenberg's the, the ask out, where we don't know if it had happened in a vacuum, whether... It would have gone one way or the other, but by observing the ask out, Quark collapses the quantum state of of Ram and Lita's relationship into ambiguity. I don't know, Lita. Maybe he's just not interested in you. What makes the scene hard to tolerate now, and maybe even then, is that Lita is breathing hard enough to make you think that there is some something like sexually activated in her. Like there is uh -huh. nothing about her reception to Rom here that should make Rom feel like he shouldn't actually ask her out. Like there is no deterrent. It's only yeah. Rom psyching himself out. And that's very difficult to watch. It is. And I think one of the things that feels old-fashioned about this is that Lita is never even considering the possibility that she might be the first mover in this. Yeah. And as a man who was asked out by the woman to whom he is now married 
for th- for the first time. God, that it just explains so fucking much. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I had I had a lot of these same nerves, uh-huh. and uh, it was my wife that that uh, that broke the ice, as it were, on a night I I must say that I intended to to break the ice myself. I just hadn't I hadn't like gotten the gumption up yet. Right, like the the idea that like this episode. Never even considers that as a as as a an option. Yeah, is Lita is ready to move away instead of ask a guy out that she likes. That's nuts. Right. Yeah, maybe there is something going on in the writers' room that they are trying to write this for a younger audience because it does feel very middle school, high school in that way. But maybe maybe it's just because it's you know twenty five years old or something. I mean, is this an all male writers' room? one could make that assumption. I don't know. I wish I knew the answer to that question. It wouldn't be surprising. Quark is a loathsome character who should be in prison. You and I have agreed about this uh, throughout our run of Deep Space Nine. But uh, his retrograde treatment of Lita here made me laugh and laugh. I have brains. Particularly his line read of... Sure you do, honey. That's why I hired you. Just like leaning into the shitbag that he is in a way that like, of course it's wrong. Of course he's being a right. shit. But that's what makes it funny. Yeah. He's the worst. Definitely peak quirk in this scene. Lita sits down to a break to three big slices of borson cheese. <laughs> And, uh, Isn't that Hasperat? I mean, it looked like either cake or cheese to me that she was eating. They didn't look like Hasperat wraps in the way that we've seen them before. Oh yeah, because they're usually the cylinder is usually on its side, not uh, not facing up. What's the worst thing you ever ate on break from a job? Probably sandwiches. I used to make a bagel sandwich filled with potato salad. <laughs> From the grocery store oh, that I worked in. Because you were on the Atkins diet? It made me feel bad. Very bad. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. I wasn't hungry for the rest of the day. Was this a like a mayonnaise potato salad or like a vinegary potato salad? I mean, it's what you would get from a grocery store deli. Oh, so, oh boy. So, not good. Somebody brought bagels to our Toronto show from Montreal... And I ate one of those bagels the next morning, and I was very suspicious of them because they were given to us in plastic sleeves, like yeah. like store bought bagels. Yeah. My assumption is that good bagels come in paper bags, and bad bagels come in plastic sleeves. But boy, that was a fucking great bagel, and I I didn't have anything on it. I didn't get I didn't toast it or anything. I just ate it raw. I was going to say really the same thing. It. You and I both raw dog those bagels, and I think that's how you can tell a bagel's really good. So if you'd like to kill us, just uh, come through the merch line with a baked good at the next Greatest Gen Live show. We're doing a fine job killing ourselves as it is without any help from our viewers. (laughs) That is true. On the side of the scene is a dart scene between O'Brien... I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. And Bashir... This is like the first scene of them together since Bashir's imprisonment on the Jem'Hadar asteroid, and they have so much more in common now than ever before. Right. Like, both of them have served very long prison sentences. Indeed. How can this never be a topic of conversation for them? 
There should be a My Dinner with Andre episode where it is just Bashir and O'Brien talking about their prison experiences with each other. Honestly, like Star Trek is very self-aware about its greatest episodes, I feel like. And when you get mm-hmm. those, they feel like so much thought clearly was put into them. This is right there to do. Yeah. And it's strange that that it's left on the table. But, you know, we only have 26 episodes every season, and we got to move through this stuff. I know. <laughs> uh, enter Dr. Lewis Zimmerman, who interrupts the darts game uh, with an exciting offer of immortality. Dr. Zimmerman, of course, played by Robert Picardo. One of the greats, and uh, gets to say the title of the episode as as his first line. That's fun. <laughs> Dr. Bashir, I presume. And uh, and we Bashirized to commercial. Yeah. After the theme song, we come back and we get the explanation for his being on the station. He is the Christopher Columbus of the emergency medical hologram. <laughs> you mean he killed... Tens of millions of emergency medical holograms? That is exactly what I mean. <laughs> he's sort of there in, as a salesman in a strange way. He's he's taken this meeting with Cisco and he's like, look, there are a lot of benefits to these things. You know, like we're using them right now in stations and ships, but like consider the idea of like the long-term medical hologram, the ones that would be stationed on isolated outposts and long-range exploratory vessels. Or ships that have been... Uh, Sent into the Delta Quadrant and are on a 75-year mission to get home. Guess what doesn't have to hot bunk? An emergency medical hologram. (laughs) You just turn that fucker off. Yeah. There's only the briefest uh, lip service paid to the idea of, like, a they're taking our gerbs reaction in this scene. And I really liked that, that, like, these people that live in this post-money future... Spend a moment considering the ramifications of that in terms of, like, people's careers, but it's actually not really that big of a threat in terms of, like, people's livelihoods. So there are practical use cases for this technology, and the idea is uh, Bashir is going to be the model for the long-term version of the EMH, which I think by this point there have been a couple of seasons of Voyager. So it's also sort of meta-commentary on Voyager where like a big running storyline is that they're finding out that the EMH is able to like grow and evolve as a as a full member of the crew on a long-term basis. But here in the Alpha Quadrant, nobody knows about that phenomenon. If anyone's job is going to be taken by a hologram of any kind, it's going to be O'Brien's, right? Just the right. the janitor of the station will one day be a hologram, and you know this, and so does O'Brien, but he never gives that voice. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll program a, a cantankerous hologram that has a bit of a weird relationship with his wife uh, any day now. This is a long-term project. Zimmerman wants to stay on the station for three weeks because uh, he needs to make some modifications to the station that would allow him to begin the process of turning Bashir into this LMH, as he's proposed. And it's a process that starts with a questionnaire of Dr. Bashir. You mean this program is going to include all his personal likes and dislikes? And it feels a lot like uh, applying for a job in the government. Like, that's that's what it made me think of right away. Like, it's a deep dive into a person personally, but they also do a background check that involves your friends and family. 
Right. It's like simultaneously a great honor and a very large scale invasion of privacy. Yeah. And that's something that, um, you know, Bashir didn't gamble on. Like he's he's very enthusiastic to be uh, showered with the with the honor that this connotes on him and the and the you know the idea of of being granted a form of immortality in the form of the LMH is uh, very exciting to him. But the uh, you know the other shoe drops as as the Zimmerman character starts to explain like all of the all of the prying that it is going to entail. I don't feel like he's celebrating this at any point. He's just sort of like, oh yeah, obviously. <laughs> Goldicott. 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 So. This episode bounces back and forth between this A and B story fairly often, and that bounce is fairly rugged because when we cut here to Quarks, we are at a very high angle shooting down onto Lita as she's sort of pit-bossing a Dabo game. And, I mean, you can see her belly button through the top of her dress. Like, that's how <laughs> severe the angle is. And as we pull back, we reveal that Bashir and Zimmerman are watching her from above. And uh, Zimmerman is regarding the the delights that an angle like that can give to a person up in the balcony. Don't have anything like this on Jupiter Station. More like her. And they make eyes, Lita and Zimmerman. Also, mourn an unconsensual kiss and embrace here. I thought for sure Lita was going to slap that guy. Yeah. Here's the thing, though. In defensive mourn, like when you win a lot of money gambling, <laughs> you want to reach for someone and embrace them. That's what I did to you yeah. in Vegas before we left Star Trek Las Vegas. Right. You you mourned me. I did. I was the Lita in that scenario. I didn't ask. I just went on in. I felt weird about it. It was exciting. <laughs> so I get it. This is the scene where Zimmerman kind of falls for Lita. And who wouldn't at this angle? He asks Bashir, maybe the worst person he could possibly ask, what her deal is. And Bashir's like, Her name's Lita, my ex-girlfriend. And Zimmerman's like, Cool. Was the end of their relationship the actual last thing Bashir experienced before being imprisoned? It's a great question. I feel like we debated this a bit on yeah. on one of the last couple episodes, but that has got to have been a rough time in prison. That's a <laughs> like, real bag over the head punch in the face and then another punch <laughs> in the face. First Lita dumps me, now this. And then you get out of prison, like, you, you think you're being showered with some super honorific thing, and the guy that's doing it is like, hey, uh, what's up with her? <laughs> Odo steps in to interrupt the proceedings with a... Doctor. Doctor. Oh, I see what you're looking at. Anyways, I'm a character on this show, too. Bye-bye. Hey, guess what I can do? And he just, like, blows into his thumb, makes Lita tits. <laughs> Check these out. this do anything for you? Those aren't special. How would you like to see three of them? Wow. Odo drops an Antidian reference here, which is great. Going back to season one TNG, Ben. What a handsome race. Back on the wow. scene. I thought it was just amazing that they found a way to work the word titty into the proceedings. Lame. <laughs> anyway, the scene ends with Zimmerman getting 
the idea to interview Bashir's parents because Bashir says, I would consider it a personal favor if you would uh, sort of leave my parents out of it. And Zimmerman's like, well, I certainly understand. And then Bashir leaves and he's like, note to self, interview Dr. Bashir's parents. It's a very dirty work moment, right? Yeah. Note to self, making love to blow up doll, not as good as advertised. What did you make of that? Like, I wondered if the episode was implying that if Bashir had not protested so much, maybe his parents wouldn't have even come into play. It's like it comes up and then Odo interrupts and then Bashir circles back. And that's, I feel like, what sets the hook in Zimmerman. Yeah, I mean, love him or hate him, Zimmerman's a professional and he wants to make a fully formed LMH Dr. Bashir. So, of course, he's going to chase this down. That much was obvious. And it didn't make me hate Zimmerman. There are other reasons to hate him, but that wasn't it to me. I'm not saying that it's it's something to hate him. I'm just wondering if the episode is implying that it it was a bit on Bashir for making such a big deal out of it. Yeah, and that's weird. Like, if what you're doing is seeking to cover up a secret the way to cover up a secret is not mentioning it at all. Right. Like, that's telltale heart shit right there. Yeah. I mean, you can either telltale heart it or you can purloin letter it, you know? <laughs> You're either a telltale harder or a purloined letterer. That's, like, choose your <laughs> choose your side. Pick a lane, asshole. We get a couple of scenes of just, like, funny LMH versus real Dr. Bashir scenes and, like, there's a scene where the hollow Bashir is like running into a wall and and yeah. the LMH and the and the emergency medical hologram that we know up until now, like the one that looks like Robert Ricardo, like they have an interaction and they're super catty to each other. Like there's some comedy in this. That's pretty fun. Yeah. And the, the idea is that they're showing the LMH in early stages where there are a lot of rough edges to sand off. Still, You know what I like is I like this for Alexander Siddig. I like that there is a scene here where his body is filled with the Robert Picardo version of the emergency medical hologram, and he's sort of being a cat to the other one. I hope you're more interesting than you seem. That's neat to see him act against his character a little bit. And then, like, there is a whole section of the episode that's just, like, singles on various main cast and recurring characters dragging Bashir as a character. Yeah. Like like kind of doing all of the all of the things that we have said about Bashir as their characters, <laughs> like reacting to what he is like to be around as a guy. And it's fun. David Livingston is the most prolific director of Star Trek television programming. Yeah. And I think it's fun that we get all of these interviews filmed straight to camera. I really like how it busts up this episode visually. Yeah. He does a good job, and I think David Livingston is a, is a director that gets that kind of latitude to get weird in an ep. Yeah, you can you can do a an Interotron right. Errol Morris set piece in in there and uh it's an episode that like basically doesn't have, you know, Jake or Worf and you know, most of the main cast has almost nothing to do in this episode, yeah. but they all get their moments in in this in this scene and and it's a lot of fun. There's a real superpower to Chase Masterson that I want to call attention to here, which is not her brains 
or her other brains. <laughs> but she has just a resting friendliness when she plays Lita that is so warm and inviting that even during this interview scene where she's playing straight to camera, Zimmerman is being a creep in using a workplace situation to ask out what is a co-worker, basically. Would you have dinner with me this evening? But she is so warm in her reception of it that it kind of gets him off the hook. And this is a thing that she does constantly in this episode. Like, this is the difference between looking at an episode like this through a modern lens and what it would be to see it in 1997. Like, I, and I think it is Chase Masterson that saves him a little bit if you were to watch this now. Like, she is so accepting and fun and open and cool that right. if she were just a, even a little bit cold, oh man, like it would be super withering and ha- would right. have aged it, even worse. It would worse. be a bucket of ice water. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a very like classic conundrum, like people that work in the service industry and specifically women that work for tips have an affect that invites a lot of attention that is sometimes welcome, but is you know, just as often unwelcome. Right. And every dude I know has has fallen in love with a barista that works at the coffee shop he goes to every morning. Right. Shout out to the barista that Ben's in love with. <laughs> it's a very commonplace uh, scenario. And uh, the fact that her character is receptive to it, you're right, totally, totally excuses the, the advance that he makes in this moment. It makes me want to know more about Chase Masterson in the sense that I wonder how many retail jobs she's had or how many jobs she's had where she's worked for tips because that seems like a quality of a person that you don't truly understand unless you've worked that kind of job. Yeah. And she nails it. Whether or not she's had that experience, she's really got that. What are you doing now? Boy, Adam, I'm uh, I'm down to the bottom of my second coconut here, and I, I believe Ann Kilzer is the one that sent us these coconuts. Oh, nice! I've just put my uh, straw right into the blender jar, so that's <laughs> what I'm drinking out of now. Wow! I need to refill. You gonna do it? I'm refilling as we speak. All right. Don't you worry about me. You say you say the thing about Star Trek you meant you were about to say. Well, Zimmerman asks Lita to dinner, and she accepts, and. It's a situation that Rom is able to eavesdrop on by twisting the sides of his ears to get reception. Did we know that Ferengis could tweak their ears into parabolic microphones before this scene? I feel like this is the first time. We knew that they had a good sense of hearing relative to other humanoids, but this like zeroing in on, you know, like the like the big clear, uh, you know, half dome microphone that you see on the sidelines of football games yeah like that is basically what he's doing and he's he's getting a sense of what's going on on this date which circling back to the word creep is super creepy (laughs) it emboldens him to interrupt their dinner i need to talk to you and then fail once again at asking her out tomorrow morning would be a good time for me to fix your replicator oh Rom is second only to me in the self-cock block. Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't feel like we would step up to the plate when it's time 
to ask a person out and then just eat shit. Like when the <laughs> when it's time to ask, the ask is made. And Rom yeah. just cannot do it. Rom steps to the plate and then steps in front of the pitch. Hey, mister, you gotta wear a helmet. Don't worry about it. He is eating shit here. Yeah. And it's embarrassing. Later in Cisco's office, Dr. Bashir and, and Cisco are there talking about the situation when Bashir's parents drop in on them. Meet the Bashirs. What we got is a Brian George as Richard Bashir, uh, who is a familiar with those who enjoy the, the show Seinfeld. You wish to eat? Let me tell you something, Babu. You go back in that kitchen, tell your chef I want the works. Yeah. But playing Amsha Bashir is a non-professional actor named Fadwa El-Gindi. And she was hired for this role. Like, like part of the show notes for this episode are amazing because everyone agrees that it is very difficult to, at this moment in time, this is 97. Yeah to cast and hire an Arab-American actress. And it was very, it was a very specific choice. They wanted to hire an ethnically Arab actor to play Dr. Bashir's mom, and they couldn't find one. Wow. And so they hired a professor instead, and that is this actor. This is her only credit. She's great. She's really great at this, and it's not like they gave her throwaway stuff to do. Like, they didn't just give her a couple of lines. Later on in the episode, they actually give her a scene. Yeah, and no, she's and she's really. I good. mean, even when she's not speaking, like I think that like the like one of the big things that separates a pro from a non-pro is the is the moments when you don't have a line, and she is his mom. Like she inhabits yeah. that character. Like like when when he is talking to his dad, she is going through what a mom goes through when a son and a and a dad have a dispute. A Shora Agdashlu does not exist in 1997. And so that is like a, that's like a way of saying we've come a long way, I think, and I hope, because she's a great actor. And I think it's probably someone like Fadwa here who blazed that trail in a strange way. Shora Agdashlu has been an actor for a long time, but was maybe a lot working outside the U.S. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. She has credits as early as 1976, and she has one in 1993, and then a gap until the year 2000, and she's been working very steadily ever since then. But yeah, this was not a time in Hollywood where, you know, and I think that this may be a casting director problem. Right. Like, I think casting directors, to their credit in the last few years, have really started to change the way they think about the world, and I think are starting to encourage producers and directors to consider underrepresented people for more roles. And obviously there's still like a ton of progress yet to be made, but you know, we're starting to see some movement in the right direction. And I I've heard um, David Simon, the guy that created the wire talking about when they started to cast the wire, that being a big problem, like people, people were saying, Oh, like there won't be enough, like talented actors of color to to fill all the roles. It's just fucking insane. And and and, and him just like railing against that. That is fucking bullshit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that like Ava DuVernay is doing things like having every single episode of an entire season of TV be directed by a woman and stuff. Like like people are really starting to rip down those 
really barriers that were erected by people's, you know, just failure to think past the the thing right in front of them. Yeah, like some of the terminology used for casting this character was... <laughs> Like, it really blew me away. Like, where do you find someone, like a lady of Arab descent, to play this role? <laughs> Is there one even? Like, it, like <laughs> it's insane to read about how they cast this role and how difficult they found it at the time. Well, and I think that now you probably go to a casting director and say, we need to cast a woman of a certain age, you know, with Arab lineage that, you know, that will be plausible as Dr. Bashir's mom. Right. And they might have... 15 or 20 options for you right so you know hopefully hopefully you know the the casting world gets better and better at this but i think both of these characters are great like i think also to the writer's credits like bashir has been kind of an underwritten character and a weirdly written character for so much of this show and to me this episode spends a lot of time kind of sending up the old bashir making some kind of writerly amends for that but also introducing these two characters who are fucking delightful to watch just chew scenery they are really george's parents on seinfeld like not to keep calling back seinfeld but the cringe that a child feels when their parents are getting along and at your workplace and interfering in your work life just by being there like just by being themselves is such a specifically painful feeling and and so well drawn here alexander siddig is is really great at portraying that yeah here. yeah it's it's uh it's really fun and <laughs> like there's so many little moments like you know he, he'll, he'll he's like leading his parents out of cisco's office and he like turns back for a moment just to look at cisco and dax and you see the that thing of being around our parents can sometimes just put us back in our adolescence, yeah. Even as adults, yeah. And that and that is an instant that abuts right up against the scene where Zimmerman and O'Brien are messing around with the hologram version of Bashir and just have him walking to walls, right? <laughs> yeah, it feels a lot like that when you're with your parents. Sometimes it, it is really funny. Yeah. Morn, 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 dear, sweet morn, morn. This dinner with the Bashir family is something that sort of sharpens the comedy of the scene that comes before because it's not just that Dr. Bashir is uncomfortable with his mom and dad being on the station. It's that Bashir's dad is kind of full of shit about a lot of things, but also they're covering for a dark secret and... It's a secret that Dr. Bashir is very serious about keeping, and it's something that he's encouraging his parents to keep as well. Like, he's imploring them. Take this seriously. And in this scene, there's nothing specific said about what they're covering up, but it totally casts a cloud over all of the scenes to come. It's super good. Yeah. It's super dynamic, and, like, Bashir's dad is a bit of a charlatan, doesn't have the same kind of professional esteem that Bashir enjoys and it blows up like Bashir winds up storming out because he thinks they're idiots and they are going to blow his cover and what that could be is is a bit unclear at this point. A couple of scenes ago Zimmerman proposes that Lita 
move back to Jupiter Station with him because they have a a little sandwich restaurant there. It's not very big. That Lita could run if she wanted yeah. to. And that first date went so well, even though it was interrupted by Rom, that maybe she should consider moving with him. And it's at this moment that Lita asks Rom what she should do. She flat out asks him, What do you think I should do? If she has a reason to stay. And right. in this moment, uh, I was hoping Rom would just put himself into a torpedo tube and shoot himself <laughs> out into the Bajoran star because he's incapable of getting out of his own way about her. Yeah. And she's pissed at him about it. She is. I mean, yeah. They're, like, it's very clear to both of them what's going on. And I thought that that was, like, pretty well drawn as well. Like, doing something that hurts the person that you care most about because you are up in your head about something like that uh, is, I, th- I think anybody that's ever dated has probably slipped up and done something like that. It should make what happens toward the end of the episode impossible. Like, I really don't find what Rom does here forgivable. Like, he lets her go here. But that's the amazing thing about love, right? There's a lot that you can forgive. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, isn't there? Bashir's parents come to see him in the hollow lab and they're like, hey, so what we were talking about at dinner, at our private dinner, we need to talk about again in this lab with a lot of hidden corners and dark spaces. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're never going to reveal the massive secret about you, that it, which is that you're genetically enhanced with DNA yeah. resequencing that has been deemed illegal by Starfleet. And uh, we're not going to drop the G bomb. No, we would never do that. Anyway, see ya. And then they leave. (laughs) And then like almost as soon as they round the corner, O'Brien and Zimmerman come from around the corner where they were. And we're like, what the fuck? (laughs) You realize that they've been talking to hollow Bashir. This is a, a moment that I think is make or break for this episode because a bad episode would leave this moment as a thing that happened. And this episode cuts straight to O'Brien having confessed yeah. this having happened to Bashir and Bashir fucking losing it. You let them stand there and make fools of themselves while the two of you sat in the back room and laughed. It's it's exactly what we need as viewers. Like, of course O'Brien would go tell Bashir that this happened and O'Brien was in a weird, tough spot where this like high-status doctor guy was was there with him, and he couldn't just run out and say "shut the fuck up." You know, <laughs> there were circumstances in at play, but uh, what we now know is that Bashir is a con. Not quite domesticated. This is a really interestingly shot scene too, because there's that two shot of Bashir in the foreground and O'Brien in the background and O'Brien basically has his head in his hands while Bashir monologues here. Yeah, and paces and flips out. It's really fun and good. It's really well done, and it's between the exact two characters that we need to have this kind of hard conversation. It's great. What we learn here is that DNA resequencing is illegal, and those who have participated in that kind of thing have been barred from Starfleet. It's such a serious rule that 
the fact that the information is now in Zimmerman's head and now in out in the world, Bashir is done with Starfleet. Like he will he will have to he will either be like ejected from Starfleet or he can resign with a little bit of dignity left to his name. But it's it's one of the two. One of the things that underscores how serious this is is the single brass instrument of early retirement <laughs> in this scene. Sad. What do you think that is? Like a French horn? Yeah, you really feel it. Back at Quark's, Rom and Quark discuss Rom's first wife, which is a person we've never yeah. heard about, but a person we've, I mean, we've probably made some assumptions about. His son is Nog. There must be a mother somewhere, and that woman is Prina Dora. <laughs> she is a woman who was Rom's first wife, and it is Prina Dora's father who took Rom for everything. Like, like everything else in Ferengi culture, there's a contract involved. And what happened is that Prina Dora's father took Rom for everything, and what Rom got was Nog. And it is in the aftermath of that failed relationship that Quark is a little bit of a told-you-so kind of brother. Lita is not Prina Dora. You're not going to make this work. You shouldn't make this work. It's obvious it's not going to work. Here's a hollow right. sweep program to make you feel better. <laughs> She's a female, Rom, and the one constant in the universe is females are trouble. It's basically like, hey, you might as well go punch one out because you're a loser and and you're done. Yeah, and Rom is is in agreement with him about this. It looks like he's holding the uh, honey stick of masturbation and thinking like, yeah, this is a good idea. Yeah. Sometimes it clears your head, though, you know? That is a medical fact. Bashir and his parents are discussing the strategy, should there be one, and his father wants to fight it, but Julian is basically, like, this is this is like a centerpiece scene in the episode, because Julian is basically calling his father the Geppetto to his Pinocchio, like, you are the reason that I am this way. I didn't want this. And then mom sort of hops in. This is a, this is the moment that the actor playing Amsha Bashir really gets her scene because she defends the father and pleads for an amount of empathy that I don't think anyone watching the episode was capable of feeling at this moment. She says that... You don't know what it's like to stay up every night worrying that maybe it's your fault. What they did is they watched Julian fall behind and they yeah. and they felt so terrible about it that they were willing to do anything to give him a chance to succeed. And so that's why they made the decision to bring him to this hospital, to change his brains in such a way that that made him a crime. We didn't do it because we were ashamed, but because you were our son and we loved you. Right. I think this is such a insightful scene because it's like it's like not really something any of us have ever experienced, like the crime of having been genetically optimized by our parents. Oh yeah, that's but, impossible for either of us to to think. But I think what is familiar is the parent that is simultaneously like made choices to put, you know, put their child on the on the best path that they could but it also has like weird resentments for 
the success of that child. Yeah. I, I, I think that comes up in people's relationships with their parents quite a lot. It's one of the best parts of the episode is because it, it feels familiar. Like this is a 24th century future, but this is a parent sharing a feeling that I think we all can understand. Whether or not you're a parent, like yeah. you can understand this motivation. Right. And like a lot of father-son relationships turn contentious in this way. And a lot of mothers find the way to bridge that gap. And that's cathartic, you know, like understanding that the things you resent about your family, you, you know, like like we carry all these things. And like resentment is one of those things that, that really builds over time. And, and like coming to the realization that a lot of the time things are done out of love rather than out of spite or or whatever or shame or whatever i guess i guess he's primarily worried that they did it because they were ashamed of him not being excellent you know right out of the box it interestingly reframes bashir's decision because after that scene with o'brien he's like aggressively interested in retiring and yeah. at the end of this scene he's like sort of come to terms with accepting the idea of his retirement which would happen the next morning like that's what he says he's like tomorrow morning it's going to be over anyway i get it like that's the only course of action left for me but this is a great big surprise because when bashir arrives at cisco's office in the morning his parents are already there and so is a hologram of admiral bennett and yeah. what's happened here off screen is that the parents have exchanged a short prison sentence two years for his continued career admiral bennett has heard their deal and he's basically decided that you know like the parents deserve a real punishment S seemingly specifically for the dad yeah did you get that I got, I got that too but also it's hard to punish julian bashir for something that wasn't his choice and though that right. is never said that is really implied by what Bennett decides in this scene. Like the parents will be punished because you can't just have people turning their little paste eaters into cons anytime they want. Like you need you need a deterrent for this kind of behavior. What if your chief Wiggum, you've got a Ralph on your hands, are you gonna turn to crime to fix that? Right. It was fun to get a con reference here. Yeah. That hit especially hard. And this seems like a fair deal to Julian Bashir. Like, he, he initially is like, You can't do this! But he gets it. Bennett makes him get it. And that's so real also, right? Like, the, like, I have my differences with these people, but they are my family. Yeah. Like, that putting family first thing that, that is his instinct in this moment is also very well drawn. Like, I don't think that... I don't think a bad writer would get that into the into the script it's a scene that made me wonder if i would have a better relationship with my parents if they were thrown in jail for a couple of years <laughs> is that what it takes maybe maybe <laughs> this is a tough scene for me because it feels a little bit like a judge advocate general ex machina where the stakes of this episode are bashir is leaving the show basically right and they are solved in this scene in a way that doesn't really involve Bashir at all. And I think that, that that's inherently a bit unsatisfying as a storytelling strategy because it it feels like, you know, the hero of the episode didn't do anything to save the day. The day got saved before he showed up 
at work that morning. <laughs> yeah, the day got saved by a hollow admiral. So, but at the same time, it does feel true to the story, and there are still consequences for him, right? It doesn't seem like he's going to be the LMH sure. anymore. And all of his friends and colleagues on the station are going to know this weird thing about him. Right. And maybe that's better in a way. Like he can like kind of live as his true self. He doesn't have a a deep, dark secret anymore. Do you think there are assumptions about him that go something like, does he have a Dr. Manhattan-style giant cock? <laughs> like, where does the genetic editing end for him? I want to know. Hard to say. Hard to say. I mean, we get some exploration of that uh, in the button on the episode. We uh, we wrap these two stories up with a a, a last-minute, uh, you know, Rom races to the, the jet bridge, to the Del Sol-class starship that Zimmerman is about to board with a trench coat and a and a boom box uh-huh. and wins Lita's heart by saying how he really feels finally and and so Lita's going to stay and then we get the dart scene with Bashir and O'Brien and uh, it turns out that Bashir much like their uh their earlier racquetball rivalry Bashir could have been cleaning the floor with O'Brien in darts as well right there's so much about this episode like that deepens the mythology of Star Trek, like all of the genetic stuff, like the idea that there are charlatans like Julian's dad out there in this moneyless society that are still trying to get an edge on people. The stuff with Rom, like having a business contract with his wife's father that had a had a sunset at a certain point, like I'll be married to her for five years. And then if we deem that it is mutually advantageous we can renew the contract right all like there's so much stuff like that and the fact that they also wrote in the idea that we could like project back in all of these episodes of ds9 where bashir was an asshole that o'brien hated and then o'brien like came around to liking him over the course of seasons and seasons of television and it's all been calculated bullshit (laughs) that bashir has been pulling like he tried the I'm way better at you than racquetball thing and it didn't work and then he was like all right well like we'll do darts and I'll pretend to be roughly your equal yeah but it's all bullshit like it's all retcon <laughs> bullshit and this is this is what I want to say for the did you like portion of the episode well we're basically there you really want to do this here now okay okay let's do it Alexander Siddig was told the week of shooting that his character was genetically modified. And like everything that led up to this is just, it's convenient retconning, which is fun on the one hand, but I don't want to give it the credit of having the foresight of doing all of this interesting stuff. Like it's retcon interesting, you know? It's Mm. interesting to consider that Bashir was blowing racquetball games and doing a bunch of other things like beneath his ability. But no one who wrote his character knew that until this week, until the week they wrote and shot the show. So I don't know if they get credit for that. I mean, I agree in principle with that as a criticism, but The Fast and the Furious was never conceived as a cinematic universe, and they decided at some point, like, between four and five that it was 
and suddenly like and and found things in all of the previous works that they could form into threads that led to subsequent films and you know like like there are a lot of dumb things about that universe but it, it like in fast and furious 5 it really works it starts to feel like oh fuck like the like they didn't have a plan and suddenly it feels like they did the entire time you so look i mean I, like I, I i think that that's like cool like a cool writing feat in a way it's cool to, have... to get the credit for retroactive continuity but it's not a real credit i'm glad it worked out for fast and the furious and it really works out in Deep Space Nine. Like, it's fun to think about going back and watching all this stuff. It It's Dr. Bashir throwing three bullseyes at the end of this episode. It's like, it just fucking works. It works miraculously. But I'm not giving credit. Yeah. Glad it worked out. And it did. But you're not a genius for having done it. You were in the right place at the right time. And sometimes that's what it takes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, one thing that is in, a couple of things actually that are in the right place at the right time for us are our two priority one messages. What do you say we see what those are? Let's do it, Adam. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Hey. The message goes like this. Do you like instrumental electronic music? No? Well, maybe you'll still like this album recorded at Watchtower Coffee and Comics in Salt Lake City on a four-track cassette recorder. Whoa. Does it have anything to do with Star Trek? Sure. Why not? Go to rsp <laughs> DJ shanty.bandcamp.com to listen and if you want to throw us four dollars or more to download we won't say no to that so the call to action is check out the watchtower tapes by red sky phenomenon and dj shanty so once again that's rsp hyphen dj shanty.bandcamp.com wow to listen that sounds great very cool to record on an analog format, something that is digital. Yeah, four tracks, baby. That, that's always really fun. That's the and shit. then uh, I've I've heard that Bandcamp is like the last good deal that musicians have in the entire world, basically. Right. Four dollars is not too much to spend to find some new music, so I would encourage you yeah. to go there and do that. Support people making music, you know. Yeah, it doesn't uh, it doesn't get made if they can't make a living making it. It's so. the same deal yeah. as Greatest Gen. Like we can't do the show without your support. Musicians often can't keep making music without your support. So support the stuff that's good. And we have a second priority one message, and it is of a personal nature. Uh, it is from Captain Liss Soto. And it is to the ent- the entity known as the Dith. Goes like this: Help! Q has kidnapped me and is forcing me to provide offspring to stop the destruction of his race. Do I give in? Starfleet com channels have been blocked, so I am hoping this message gets to you in time. Send help and condoms. Who knows what kind of weird things these omnipotent beings have picked up? Mm. What? <laughs> I never considered the uh, the STD issues W slash R slash TQ, but that is very troubling. Yeah, I'll say 
I hope uh, Captain Lis, Lis Soto is uh, is able to receive the help they need from the Dith. Well, uh, one way to help the greatest generation is by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. That's where you, and I'm talking to you, mm. can have us read a message just like these on our fine program. Yeah. Personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which reach our wide, broad, vast audience right here on The Greatest Generation. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! It's hard not to choose Lita. And I think I'm choosing Lita because the very nature of her character in this episode is just sort of float from scene to scene. Like she's just sort of there to take what's given. And where nothing is given, she's not doing any taking. Like, she's willing to move to Jupiter to be with Zimmerman because he's a guy that asked. And that feels like a very drunk Shimoda kind of way to be. Like, almost <laughs> almost like she's only remembering the last thing that happened to her in making a decision. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean, just mean, like, there are people in her life... That are affecting her. Far be it from you to disparage anyone who has affinity for the last person that spoke to them. Yeah, and <laughs> she's living her best life, I guess, but she's making decisions based on people actually doing things around her. I wish she had a little more agency. I wish she asked out the guy that she liked, obviously, instead of waiting until the last possible moment to allow that to happen. Like, that's not great. But if there's a Shimoda in this episode, to me, it's Lita. What about you, Ben? The thing that made me laugh the most in this episode was the single on O'Brien in the interview section Uh where he's terribly concerned that any of this might get back to Bashir. Right. And all he has to say are like the most glowing forms of praise. And I feel like... That's O'Brien projecting himself onto Bashir. Like he's a guy that really like does not does not want to be the center of attention and does not want to be the subject of praise. Yeah. And uh I, I think there are so many really insightful character moments in this episode, and that is like the briefest thing about O'Brien, but it's so true to who he has been presented to us as. And uh I really loved it. So O'Brien's my drunk Shimoda for this episode. Fantastic. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES.
You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, Ben, what are we watching for the very next episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and how will we watch it? Well, I'll tell you what, and uh, and then I'll tell you how. How about that? Great. That's the right order. Here, here as I finish my fourth Coco No-No. Yeah, I'm, I'm down to the pitcher, <laughs> personally. Yeah. Our next episode is Season 5, Episode 17, A Simple Investigation. Odo falls in love with a mysterious woman who has been targeted for murder. All right, and I now need to call up the game of buttholes. Will of the Prophets, which you can uh, check out at gach.biz slash game. This is where we uh, determine how we will be watching the next episode of the show. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. 
We are on square 46. Alright, Adam, I'm gonna, uh, roll this bone, see where we land. It looks like we've got that, uh, notorious space butthole that will send us back to Fuck It, We'll Do It Live as the, uh, primary hazard on this roll. And I believe we've cancelled that square, but we haven't actually come up with what to replace it with yet, so... This is interesting. I have rolled a six. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. It jumps us over that hazard. Uh, I've got us on square 52. And uh, that is a regular ass episode. We are not going to be drinking any tiki drinks next time we record the podcast. That's good. I think I could use a break. I'm down to the bottom of my pitcher here. Very full of rum and pineapple juice and coconut milk. The amount of drinking that goes on on tour is... Excessive? Excessive, and we just came back from tour, so I really am going to appreciate a a regular-ass episode. Yeah, I thought I'd come home and we'd dry out, but that is not what has happened here. No such luck, my friend. But, uh, But one thing that makes me feel lucky every month is the monthly support that the Friends of DeSoto provide us by going to MaximumFun.org slash donate. You think someone else is just going to take care of it for you, but that's not how it works. If you love the show, if you listen to it week in and week out, uh, I would encourage you to go to MaximumFun.org slash donate to support the production of this show. It is... It's got to be you. It is difficult. It is expensive. It is more expensive every month. Yeah. The more people that listen, the more we pay for bandwidth, etc. So, uh, yeah. Thank you for supporting. So many people help make the show possible. It's not just us. It does take a village. A village of nerds, Ben. I think that village... It does. ...has got a village elder. A leader, <laughs> if you will. Who's that going to be? You think that's Bill Tilly before he, he double-crosses us? <laughs> yeah. Bill, Bill Tilly will eventually betray us, but for now. For now, he gets our gratitude for making the trading cards that he posts to multiple social media sites. You can find him on Twitter, for example, as Bill Tilly 1973. Uh, he's one of the best in the business. Also want to give yeah. a great big shout out to, uh, to those who make the music of this show. The original theme music for The Greatest Generation was made by Dark Materia. That music chopped and screwed by the great Adam Ragusia and turned into theme and interstitial music that you hear on The Greatest Generation and The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine and The Greatest Discovery. Yeah. The guy's guy's prolific. Prolific. And uh, he has a great cooking channel on YouTube if you search Adam Ragusia on YouTube. You can find uh, Ben on one of those episodes. Yeah, I made something for uh, for the YouTube channel, and uh, I think, uh, I, I, as far as I understand, the invitation is open for you to cook something for Adam Ragusea's YouTube channel as well. well and I would, uh, I'll wait to hear it from really him. Really like to see what you do. I'll wait to hear it from him, but uh, I he told me to tell you. I'm, a, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it from the Ragusea's mouth. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna trust <sighs> what I hear secondhand. It's crazy. I'm telling you, he told me. He's he's our friend, and I happened to be in contact with him because I was sending him this footage, and he said, tell Adam 
I would love for him to cook something for the channel as well. Well, I'm selling all of my camera gear. I'm going all in on podcast, so... You're, move, you're moving to L.A., though, and I still have my camera gear, so you could come... You, you could use my stuff. <laughs> Thanks, Adam Ragusea. You're the best. Thanks to uh, the great folks at MaximumFun.org. Thanks to all the friends of DeSoto. Thanks to the people that run the Wikia. Yeah, thanks to all viewers everywhere. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine, which really has a lot of questions about who Odo might have fallen for if it's not Kira. Yeah, what the hell, Odo? What are you, Lita? Yeah, I don't know. I, I might... I'm Honestly, I think I'd keep the candle lit for Kira if I'm Odo. Yeah. I'd turn myself into a candle and remain lit for her. That's how great I think yeah. she is. You, you, you would uh, attempt to Dr. Beverly her? Sure would. Hey, Adam, before we get off the mic... I just want to encourage you to have a brood before before the night gets too long in the tooth. Good thinking. Yeah, our friends at brood.ca, we will give them a free plug here post-credits. Come on. Come on, brood. Get those broads. If you buy brood and you've heard about brood through Greatest Gen, make sure to tell them that's how you heard about them. Because seriously, we're selling a lot of broads for brood. On our podcast. (laughs) Give me a break. Come on. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.